chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And in a moment, I'm going to kind of take you over to another passage um, in Genesis chapter 2. So be ready. I hope you had a good Christmas, did you? We usually sing some Christmas songs like this the week after Christmas, just so we don't just sweep it out the door on the 25th at midnight. And, uh, but but we, uh, we, we love to keep our eyes on the Lord here. So thinking about a new year, thinking about a new year coming and, and a lot of decisions, I want this year for me to be a different year. I want it to be a good year. I want it to be a better year than last year. I hope you do too. And some of you, maybe you had a great year last year, and you're saying, I don't know if it could get any better. Well, I hope it can. Some of you had a terrible year, and you're saying, I don't think it could get any worse. It can, I promise you that. But I want it to be better for you, and so I want to look at something with you. In Romans chapter 5, you find uh, the Apostle Paul is making some comparisons. He's talking about two men. He's talking about Adam, the first man created by God in the garden and Eve, but particularly he's talking about Adam there. And then he's talking about Christ, who in Scripture is actually called the second Adam. The first Adam, Adam in the garden in the book of Genesis, was placed into the garden. He was created perfect. He was created without sin, and he was placed into a great environment, and he was given only one rule. You can do anything else, just don't do this one thing. And what did he do? He broke the rule, <laughs> of course, just like you, just like me. And we would have broken it too, by the way. And uh, so he failed the test. Christ is called the second Adam uh, because he too came into this world sinless and he faced the test. Christ, however, responded right, made the good decisions, the right decisions, and so he passed the test and became our Savior. Now, I want to um, look at Romans chapter 5. And uh, look at this comparison of these two men who made two choices, two totally different de uh, decisions, and the results that flowed from them. If you look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul is making a comparison. Here he says, Therefore, just as, uh, he's saying in the same way, just as through one man sin entered into the world. So you know who he's talking about, right? Adam and death. Through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, go on down to verse 17 and, and watch this. For if by the one man's offense, that is Adam still he's talking about, if by that one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came on all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, this is Christ on the cross, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. 
the writer is contrasting for us, as I said, the decisions, the actions of Adam and his sin, which drug humanity into the fall and separated us from God. And he's comparing that to the righteous actions of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, hopefully with this coming new year, we all get a chance and uh, we all get a chance to do better, to make the right decisions. And we hopefully... It's kind of like we get what I'd call a do-over, right? Have you ever messed up in something as a kid and you said, wait, I want, I want a do-over? Well, hopefully this year, 2019, will be a do-over for us. Many of you have already been thinking about some of your New Year resolutions. How do I want this year to be better? Am I going to lose weight? Am I going to be this? Am I going to get a promotion? Am I going to do this or do that? And... Uh, and, and so we're setting some goals, thinking about setting goals for the new year. I, I firmly think that is almost essential. Now, not in the sense that we just set resolutions, but that we really sit down and plan out some goals. Where do I want to be at the end of this year? What, how am I going to get there? And that perhaps is the difference in just setting a bunch of resolutions, having some thoughts, and actually seeing those goals accomplished. In fact, what I want to talk with you about today is, is how to accomplish those goals. How to actually empower the goals that you would set for who you want to be this year. I would suggest that you make this a year to be a year where your life really changes for the better. And I believe that the difference in just setting goals and actually reaching your goals has a lot to do with the decisions that you're going to make this year. I'll put it this way. Haven't you had in the past uh, times where you had good intentions, you had great goals, but then somewhere through that year you made a bad decision, mad decision or two, and it didn't work out like you said you thought it would, like you hoped it would? Hmm? Sure you have. We've all done that. And so I want to share with you why this is so important to me, particularly, really important to me at this time in my life. Because about four weeks ago, at 58 years old, I felt great. I really felt good. I had, uh, unknowing to me, one day I was sitting there, and all of a sudden started getting a little chest pain, started getting a little more chest pain, and acids wouldn't cure it, and I started getting more chest pain, and I'm going... Oh man, I started breaking into a cold sweat and I'm going, honey, something isn't right. I'm telling my wife, we got to get to the hospital. I had a heart attack. I didn't, I, I always thought you guys were going to be the only ones to have heart attacks, especially at 58, right? Like I'm always going and visiting people who are having heart attacks. I don't have heart attacks. You have heart attacks. But guess what? I had a heart attack. Now, thankfully, they were able to rush me down to CMC. They were able to get a stent placed in to restore the blood flow. And uh, within about 30 minutes, which was phenomenal, and that kept any damage from happening to my heart, thank God. But the news was good, but in a sense, it was still bad. Because I woke up the next morning. My wife had spent the night, and I woke up real early, about 4 a.m. And I'm just talking to the Lord. And I'm telling you, lying in that bed, I looked up. And I thought to myself, I had a heart attack. Now, I know that doesn't impact you like maybe 
like it does some who have had heart attacks. But, you know, we have phrases for heart attacks. We, we say things like, you know, are you serious? Hey, I'm serious as a heart attack. Like, it can't get any, I, you know, I'm serious as a heart I'm trying to eliminate that, by the way, from my vocabulary. <laughs> it's not pleasant to those of us who have had one to actually hear that. And, and uh, it's kind of freaky. But I was laying there and I was saying, God, I had a heart attack. And then something really occurred to me. You know, I, I was saying, Lord, I'm, I'm going to have to adjust my life. and and Because, look, I ate anything I wanted to eat all the time. And I just liked greasy, junky food and grew up, didn't care what it did to my body. Didn't, never thought about it because I wasn't that guy who was going to have a heart attack. And uh, I drank, never drank water, drank Coke all the time. Just all kind of junk, you know, and just didn't take care of myself. Never, ever exercised. And I'm going... Uh, I wake up and I've got all these people telling me, you're going to have to be a goat vegetarian, man. I'm like, man, you don't understand who you are talking to, right? Like, I mean, I am a meat and potatoes guy. And so I'm lying there and I'm going, I'm thinking about my wife. Wow, what if I had left? Would she be okay? What about my kids? You know, what about, my, what about my two daughters who just got married? What about my grandchildren? Don't you, I want to see them grow up. Like, I wasn't afraid to die. Like, if I died, I, I got to go to heaven. I never, it was weird, I got close to death, but I never, never had any fear of that. But after I'm reflecting on it, I'm thinking, man, there's things I want to, I'll tell you who else I thought about a lot. I thought about you. I thought about this church. I thought about God bringing me here. And I thought about our new church that's about, uh, Eighth of a way under construction due to all this rain. I'm thinking, am I going to die and just leave that? I mean, is that going to be my legacy, this muddy field with a building that Jack, you know, everybody says, boy, he got worn out, went to heaven. (laughs) You know, what's the deal? Yes, I have all these thoughts. They were very serious to me, and I thought, I said, Lord, I need some help with this. I've got to change my life. You know what brought, God brought to my mind? A passage out of the Old Testament part of the Bible where David, King David, had a friend who got killed. And his name was Abner. And Abner and Joab were enemies. And uh, David had protected Abner because he was his friend. But then Joab finally caught Abner. He tricked him and got him out of a safe place where David had him and brought him out to a public place and he killed him. He tricked him. He deceived him. And David is lamenting because he's lost this good friend. All of a sudden this verse pops into my mind. I didn't, not all that background, but this is where it came from. Because when David is lamenting, David says this, Abner, Abner, you died as a fool dies. Because he had been tricked and deceived, right? That verse came into my mind lying in the hospital bed that morning. You died as a fool died. I said, Lord, with all my heart, since you saved my soul, I've tried not to live like a fool. And I have. I've tried not to embarrass you as as your pastor. I've tried not to live like a fool. I've tried to live as a godly man with integrity. I've I've tried. Now, I mess up like everybody else does because I'm human, but I really really don't want to live like a fool. And I said, God, I've concentrated on not living like a fool, but now I just about died like a fool. You say, what do you mean? 
Here's what I mean. If I was at least eating right, living right, trying to be healthy and exercise regularly, and then I die, then guess what? The Lord took me home. Can't do much about that, can you? But if I'm just eating a bunch of junk and I'm just living the way I've been living, Lord, and then I die at an early age, then, Lord, I've died like a fool. And, God, I don't want to die like a fool. They came in and said, you're going to have to try to adjust your diet. I said, no, I'm not going to try. I'm going to do it. You're going to have to try to get healthy and start exercising. No, I'm not going to try. I'm going to do it. And I've set my mind to that. Why? Because I don't want to live like a fool, but I also don't want to die like a fool. Now listen, you have two options really this coming year. And it may have nothing to do with diet. It may have nothing to do with exercise. That's just where I'm at. But you have a choice. Are you just going to drift this year and just let life happen to you? Or are you going to make a determined choice to say, this shall be a year of growth for me. This is going to be a year where I'm going to set some goals, spiritually, relationally, whatever, and I am going to grow in Christ like never before. And you can do that. And, 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 and you haven't, listen, I beg you, you, you haven't lived, hopefully, like a fool. Don't die like a fool. Don't do that. The time is now to set some good, attainable, measurable goals for this coming year and to let this be the year that God works in your life to really accomplish some real spiritual growth. To help you get rid of the attitudes and the anger or the disappointment or the depression that haunts you all the time. Let this be the year that you get some real financial, even just peace or, or progress in your financial life. So you don't just, just keep struggling and make Let it, this be the year that you discipline yourself and you get some real improvement maybe in your relationships with others. Could this be the year where you get that relationship settled? Even if the other person doesn't respond, could you end the end of, reach the end of 2019 and say that relationship is 10,000 times better than it was before? Amen. It can, but it doesn't happen just because you set a goal. A goal is noble, but a goal without a plan on accomplishing the goal is nothing more than a dream. That's why they don't happen most of the times. I said, good goals? But I never learned to make good decisions to reach those goals. So I want to help you learn some real keys to making great decisions this year so this can be a banner year for you and you can reach your goals. By the way, let me just give them to you very quickly. Four tests for making good decisions because here's what's going to happen this year. You are, I am, we all are. You're going to um, make some good goals and you're going to say, I want to be this, I want to do that, I want to do this this year. And then life is going to attack you. Busyness is going to come in. The kids, the parents, the in-laws, the outlaws, everything. It's just crazy, right? So opportunities are going to present themselves to you. Some of you are going to get some real opportunities this year. Jobs, relationships, whatever. How do you know whether or not you should go this way or that way. Here's how. Number one, most important of all, it's what I call the inspiration test. Does this agree with God's Word? Now that sounds so simple and, and so obvious, but listen, 
This is critical. When you go and look at Romans chapter 5, the passage we just read, there was a man named Adam who did not ask this question. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, I want you just to listen to some of this now. In fact, no, if you have a Bible, turn back to Genesis chapter 2. If you don't, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll read it out to you. Genesis chapter 2 is the actual story where Adam was tempted and where he failed because he didn't ask the question, does this agree with God's word when he was tempted to sin? In Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, I'll just point out a few things. Notice this. It says, Then the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. This is shortly after creation. And the Lord God commanded the man, here's what he said, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now this is as clear as it can get. This is no, no hesitation, no equivocation, no ifs, no ands, no buts. He says you can do anything you want to do, but of that one tree right there, you can't eat of it. The day you eat of it, you will surely die, right? God doesn't leave it ambiguous. He doesn't put a question mark. He puts a period and uh, But then I want you to read what happens. It's not long after he's got a goal. He's going to live in the garden. He's going to reproduce. He's got a great wife. Then look what happens. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Mine's actually on the same page. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Because an opportunity presents itself to Adam. That's all it was. It was an opportunity. Should he do it? Should he not? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. We know this to be Satan who took the form of a serpent. And he said, we know this because serpents don't talk, right? And he said to the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now, right near there in your margin, if you have your Bible, you ought to write the word doubt. He doesn't come out with an all-out assault and say God's a liar. You know what he does? He just comes up to him and says, Did God really say that you couldn't eat that? I mean, you think that's really what he meant? So, first he just comes to you. You, you say, Boy, I'm going to live for God this year. I'm going to do A, B, and C. It won't be long. Someone or something will come to you and say, is that really what you meant by that? Is that you meant you're going to be totally pure to your wife? You, have, you can't have a relationship with anybody else for the rest of your life. And see what he's doing. He's just casting doubt on God's word. Look at it further, if you will. He says, uh, <laughs> look at verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, now she's going to quote him, right? You shall not eat it, nor shall ye touch it. You ought to underline that little phrase, nor shall you touch it. Now, now I don't mean this, I don't think they should have touched it. But God didn't say anything about touching it. 
God just said, what? In the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They could have touched it all they wanted to have touched it, and it would have never killed them spiritually, separated them from God. Now, they probably shouldn't have been playing with fire. They probably should have stayed as far away as they possibly could. But here's what she does. She doesn't, she doesn't, now that little bit of doubt, she, she is distorting God's word. God had spoken. God was clear. Somebody, probably Adam, didn't hear correctly, didn't listen or pay attention or didn't memorize God's word. And now it has been distorted. She just says, you know, it wasn't an intentional thing, I don't think, but it's distorted nonetheless. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Touch it, lest you die. Look at verse 4. Now you're going to see the outright denial. The serpent said to the woman. Now this doesn't cast doubt. This doesn't distort, this doubt, this denies. The serpent says to her, you won't surely die. You know what he's saying? God's lying to you. <laughs> in fact, if you look at the following verse, he says, because God just knows in the day that you eat of it, you're going to be like him. You're going to know good and evil. That's good stuff, and God's holding out on you. It might come to you like this. Yeah, you made that situation, the, you made that goal this year, that resolution that you were not going to lie again. But look what it's going to cost you if you tell the truth. You tell the truth, you're going to lose your job. You tell the truth, you won't get that raise or that promotion. You tell the truth. Now, you didn't really mean you was going to have to tell the truth about everything. You, you, you're not talking about little white lies, are you? I mean, nothing wrong with them. You see how this plays out? It just starts with a little bit of doubt, a distortion of God's Word, uh, uh, and then an outright denial of God's word and my friend I just want to tell you never put a question mark where God has put a period now God was clear God said in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die and Satan says you you won't surely die no no way and so when you're faced with something, would to God, would to God, would to God that Adam or Eve had one had had the sense to say, wait, stop, let's back up and go back and say, what did God say before we do this? Because we know they didn't do that. And Adam's choice to eat that fruit plunged all of humanity into a sinful, lost condition. Adam had to watch his wife and family be driven out of the garden. He had to begin to earn his food by the sweat of his brow. He started watching his children kill one another. They started, men started murdering, and the world just got worse and worse and worse. And I have to believe that for all of his born days, Adam said, Why, why, why did I try to go against what God's Word said? So listen, simple. Number one this year is you face some decisions. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to grow in your life, your relationships, drive down some stakes, say, this is what I'm going to be, this is what God's Word says. And then when an opposition, uh, uh, excuse me, when an opportunity presents itself, no matter how good it looks, no matter how good it might taste, you and I have to say, first of all, does it line up with God's Word? This is so simple and foundational because if it doesn't and it goes against God's word, then you don't even have to consider it. You immediately know the source, right? Simplifies life so much. 
Adam's failure affected his wife. Adam's failure affected his family. Adam's failure as a leader affected all of the beautiful place that he lived, ultimately devastated the entire human race. And the whole mess that this world is in today can be traced back to that one spineless decision to go against what God said. Here's another thing, just a side point that I think is fascinating. They get caught red-handed because when they sin, things change. They become aware of sin. God shows up and God says, Adam, where are you? Now, he's not talking about geographically because he knew exactly where he was. He meant, where are you spiritually? And Adam is feeling all this guilt and so is Eve. And they're literally hiding from God like people hide from God to this very day. Because he felt guilt. Adam, where are you? What have you done? You know what Adam doesn't do? Adam doesn't say, oh God, you told me not to, but I did and I messed up so bad. Please forgive me, God. Please forgive me. No, no, no. None of that. You know what he does? Cast the blame. Adam's response is so typically male. Adam, what have you done? You know what Adam says? Well, Lord, it's the woman that you gave me. That's exactly what he says. Like, it's the woman that you gave me. Many a man has tried that defense. Hasn't worked yet. <laughs> it's the woman. In fact, I think he's almost blaming God. Like, everything was great here in this garden until you decided that I needed somebody else. Remember that? Took this rib out of my side. So, God, you, like, the woman that you gave me, you gave her me, she did it. Well, she's no better because she does the same thing. She's standing there guilty, and God says, Now, what have you done? You know what she says? It's the serpent. The serpent beguiled me. He tricked me. He lied to me. He deceived me. The serpent. Well, of course, the serpent, he, the snake, he didn't have a leg to stand on. So, <laughs> I know that's weak, isn't it? But don't we do the same thing when we're caught? We commit a sin. We do something that we know is abjectly against God's word. We get caught. And then we begin looking for somebody else to blame. Which only leads us to more sin. It's not my fault that I'm 50 pounds overweight. I mean, good night, preacher. McDonald's ought to know better than to run. Double cheeseburger, Big Macs, and quarter pounds, and fries, two for three dollars. Listen, you've got a whole year coming. Now let me just ask you, what is going to be the basis for your decision making this year? Are you going to have something, some standard that you can compare an opportunity, an action to and say, is this right, is this wrong? What, is, what, what part does the Word of God, your Bible, play in your decision making? Huh? Jesus said, everyone, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that is, everyone who acts and listens to and acts on Jesus' word, Jesus said, him will I liken to a wise person who built their house on a solid foundation. The psalmist stated in Psalm 19, the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes, 
By them, he says, your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Are you just going to do this year what you feel like is right, what you think is right? Or are you and I, if you're going to be successful in God's eyes and you're going to be happy in large part, my friend, you better compare your decisions and your opportunities and your questions to God's word. What does God's word say? First test, second test, the integrity test. This is a huge one. The integrity test. Is this consistent, this choice, this opportunity that I have? Is it consistent with what I really value? By the way, I have in my life what I call high values. You have them too. I have mine written down. Do you have the things you really value written down and prioritized in order of priority? If I were to ask you what's important to you, you could name some things. You ought to write them down before this day's over. Eight or ten things that are really important to you. Mine, I can start at number one, is my personal relationship with God. Not being a pastor, my personal walk with Jesus Christ is number one on that list. That is a high value to me. Number two is, guess what? My wife, my wife Kim, she is most important to me beside only, second only to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when I'm faithful to him, I'll be a much better husband to her. Guess what's next? It's not my wife and kids. On as number two, then it's my children, Jonathan, Amy, Rachel. And uh, they're third on mine, and, and now all their in-laws. But then I've got next grandchildren on number four. But do you know, guess, hey, guess what? Uh, <laughs> you're down to about four or five on my list. That's, that's when church comes in. So I, I, I can tell you without apology out of about 10, you're only about number 5, and that's not bad. But I'm going to tell you, being the pastor of this church does not, absolutely does not compete with the love and the attention and the affection that I need to give to my wife Amen. and to my children. And by the way, incidentally, I'm not fit to lead you as a pastor. Scripture says this, if I, my family life is out of order, I am told beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I cannot lead my own family well, how could I ever lead the church of God? Right? If any man provide not for his own, especially them of his own household, he's worse than an infidel. He's denied the faith is what Scripture says. A man, let a man, let a pastor have his children uh, in, in, in reverence to him, and, and may they live in all subjection. Now, there's been time for, the, and the whole rationale is this. If I can't lead four or five or six people at home, how am I going to lead four or five or six hundred here? Amen. Now, that's just logic. And so, so I, I don't have any hesitancy in saying there's going to be times when you're going to call me as a pastor and say, I need such, such, I'm going to say, I can't help you. This is my family day. I'll get Ryan, I'll get Tony, or I'll get somebody, or do we have a friend or somebody? But listen, I'm not going to forsake my family. And listen, business and financial success is way on down that list. But some of us have business. My number one goal this year is to make A, B, and C. You better rearrange your priorities, and you better say, does that match God's word? And then you better say, listen... 
when this decision comes, is this consistent with what I really value? But if you don't have your high values written down, how will you know? Um, you can have core values written down even as to a church. I mean, let's just be honest. What if you went into a church and you were looking for a church and you heard a pastor teaching and that, that pastor said something like this, Jesus is simply a way to heaven. He's not the only way to heaven. There's many ways to heaven. Would that even upset you? Would, that, would, you, would you know enough of the Bible? Would that, would that worry you? Would that concern you? Would you still join that church? Um, what if you went into uh, a church and, for instance, you heard a preacher say, well, you know, God blesses all marriage, and uh, marriage is blessed by God, so it doesn't really make a difference if it's a man and a woman or if it's a man and a man or two women. God still blesses marriage. Would, would that trouble you? Do you have any what are your values and are they driven by scripture uh what about the issue of of even just coming to church period now we have to be careful with these things to make sure that our values are driven by scripture you know god gave us a day to rest and to worship and i realize you're here today so i'm not getting on you but he knows that if we don't take time to come apart from the world we will come apart amen uh, what about our finances well, I know God's word teaches me, I know, to be a joyful giver and to bring him the first, first portion. But, but, you know, not this week because God knows all the bills are due or he understands I need this vacation. Look, I, I need this motorcycle. <laughs> I need this thing. You know, it's red and fast and goes 120 miles an hour. You know what? John Piper, I love the guy, man. I don't agree with everything he says, but he's awesome in so many ways. He says this in one of his books, so true, sin gets its power by persuading us to believe that we will be more happy if we follow it. The power of all temptation is the prospect that it will make me happier. So true, isn't it? So true. So you must ask yourself as opportunities and temptations present themselves to you this coming years, is this consistent with my high values in my life? If it is, good. You might go for it. Doesn't mean you do, but you could. But if it's not, then you say, no, this is not consistent with what I value. Third test. You want to be godly this year? You want this to be a great year? doesn't just come from setting some resolutions. Here's how you empower the resolutions. Impact test. The impact test. You ask this, and this is a question, boy, that we don't ask near enough. How will this affect my closest family and friends? I should have worded this a little different. I should have just worded it. How will this affect the people closest to me? See, I just happen to believe that good leaders ask this question all the time. How can I make the people around me better? And I mean really make them better. A company president ought to be saying, how can I give away some of these profits to the people who have helped me get here? A company president or a manager or who has the ability to do that should be asking regularly, how can I make it easier on my people? How can I help them to succeed? Wouldn't you like to have a boss like that who genuinely asked that? And so I had a pastor recently share something with me. It blew me away. He said, a man in his church, he said, that guy told him, he said, he told me 
that he wakes up every morning with two simple questions. He's trained himself to do this. Number one, how can I serve God today? Wakes up and asks, I'm going to be watching. How can I serve God today? Number two, how can I serve my wife today? How can I serve my wife today? Something I've decided to start doing recently. You can laugh at it. I don't care. She doesn't laugh at it. I want to take my wife's car at least once a week and put gas in it for her. Now, isn't that just a dumb thing? No, that's a good thing, isn't it, ladies? Some of you ladies need to learn. It's all right for you to say amen in in church once in a while. I know you don't want to say it because your husband hadn't made that decision yet. Listen, I screw up a lot of other stuff, so it's not like I'm, you know, don't, don't get the wrong idea here. She was sitting right down here earlier. She, she's like, yeah, you missed a few weeks, buddy. <laughs> I said, New Year hadn't got started yet. But, but just how can I serve others? Too often our decisions are, listen, here's the problem. Too often we get an opportunity and our decisions are very self-centered. That's what I want. That's what I want, rather than others-centered. Philippians 2.4 says this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You remember the comparison we started with Adam and Jesus? Do you think Adam and Eve really thought through their decision and how it might affect others? Oh my, oh my. They believed the lie of the devil, that God was holding back something from them, And I'm sure, certain that they never dreamed about all the results of what their one selfish action would do to all them around them and to mankind as a whole. If you want a recipe for a miserable life, make your decisions based on what you want. If you want, in large part, a life of much greater joy and happiness, think Primarily of others. How can I help the people around me? I mean, we do this in church life. We should do it. What about our church life? Do we come to church with a me first attitude? None of us would probably say, yeah, I mean, I come to church thinking about me. (laughs) But let me ask some questions. Does it start in the parking lot? With saying, I don't want to take that space. I want to leave that one for a guest. I want to leave that one for a senior. Does it continue in a search for my seat? You ever walked in, man? <laughs> it felt like you, somebody walks in and you're sitting in their seat in church. It's a weird feeling for your first-time guest. What about our church life? Does, does, does it, are they going to sing my song? Is the preacher going to end at my time? <laughs> I mean, think about it. The decisions we make today are going to impact others, either positively or negatively, for years to come. And we need to learn to put the Lord and others first in our thinking. And that's how we carry out a productive year that's meaningful and means something to us. How does this decision, how would it impact those around me? Final one, and I'll close, the improvement test. You want it to be a re- year of reaching some goals? You got to ask this. Will this decision, will this change, will this opportunity be beneficial? Is it beneficial? You know, that's usually the first question we ask. 
Is it profitable? Will it feel good? Will it, if, if we even ask the questions. Should really be the last one we ask. It is a valid question when you get it in the proper order. Okay, God doesn't say it's wrong. Okay, it's not going to damage people around me. I can invest and help others and impact them in a great way. So will it be beneficial? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. Great verse of Scripture. Paul is laying out some arguments. He's been asked, what can I do as a Christian and what can't I do as a Christian? You know, that's the question. Can if this is a this is a line and a ledge, and Christians can't do that because you know they'll fall over the ledge, or Christians can do anything on this side and they'll stay safe. Can I do this? Can I not do that? We ask those questions all the time. You know what Paul says? Frankly, he says everything, all things are permissible. He says I've got a lot of grace in Christ. I can do a lot of things. All things are permissible. Because he knows you're not saved by works, right? <laughs> all things are permissible. But then he gives this warning. He says, but not all things are profitable. Not everything is constructive. And then he says this, and I will be mastered by nothing. I thought through that, the word nothing. No thing. That's what nothing is, no thing. Paul says, I want to be mastered by the Lord. I don't want to be mastered by anything. I will be mastered by nothing. Have you ever decided to do something in your life? Have you ever thought about an opportunity, start a habit, and eventually it winds up? It's not serving you, you're serving it. Hmm? Paul says, I can do anything I want to do in Christ to have complete freedom. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. And I will be mastered by no thing. Oh man, this is so big for me. Because I am so impulsive. Like my, I am sanguine in my personality. And my, my personality is, man, if it's fun, let's do it. Let's do it. I am on board. I love dangerous stuff. I love motorcycles and fast cars and fast women. <laughs> That's why I married Kim. <laughs> Hey, I told you I'm an honest guy, right? I mean, dig it, it is fun, I'm telling you. And listen, if sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it, would we? That'd be pretty stupid, wouldn't it? But man, I'll see a motorcycle, and I can be two months behind. Years ago, I could be two months behind on our rent, and I'd still figure out some reason that I, I could get that thing, and God wanted me to have it. I mean, a car, a, you name it. I mean, I am so impulsive at things like that. And it wasn't that the thing itself, there was nothing inherently sinful with a particular motorcycle, with a particular race engine, but it was just, it wasn't profitable at that time. Six months later, I'm puking that motorcycle up through my nose when I can't pay the bills. Of course, I know you don't know what that feels like. Some of you wives are going, oh boy, get him good, him good, get him good. And some husbands are saying, get her good, because she just finished doing that with a credit card over the holidays. Spent so much. But you know what? Paul says, I don't want a thing, I don't want a thing to be mastering me. What I've found out, I've had motorcycles as masters. I've had 
houses as masters. I, I thought they were going to serve me, but they turned out being terrible masters. Terrible masters. Will this decision be beneficial? You know what? We get so many things sometimes and so much stuff sometimes and so many activities and media and stuff that we're watching and we get so enamored with that stuff that we wind up losing our affection for the Lord. We begin to go to church less and less and uh, then we begin to let our time in His Word slip. We almost never spending time with Him. We used to be involved in ministry and now we're not and we don't come to church. And, and you know what we do? We just like Adam and Eve, we start finding excuses except we don't admit that I've let my spiritual life slip through carnality we, and selfishness. We just start saying, well, you know, I don't know. I don't, songs, a choir singer are just not that good. Kind of tired of the music. You know, preaching is kind of boring. Jack's been in a slump lately, you know. Heard the same old illustrations, you know. Our Sunday school class lessons just aren't that good, you know. <sighs> Honestly, isn't it time that you and I, as boy, I'm preaching into a mirror, begin to focus more in 2019 on God's will for our lives? On God's will for our lives. You know what God's goal for your life is this year? God has a goal for your life. It's to make you more like his son. That's his, that is his goal. To be conformed more into the image of his dear son. That, that's the very best that you and I can be at the end of this year. Is to be more like Christ. Amen? Amen. Now think about Adam and the decision he made and the pain that it caused. Now think about the second, Adam, Christ, and the decision he made to go to the cross and to be faithful. Adam's choice brought death on the human race. Christ's choice brought life and deliverance to all who trust him and receive his free gift of salvation. Jesus on the cross, the whole world, everybody around him thought, what a foolish decision, what a foolish decision. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, giving his life for ours, we can live forever. I say this and I close, the best decision you could make to start 2019 off as the best every year of your life would be to give your life to Jesus Christ for salvation. There could not be a better decision made. But may God direct every other decision we make too. May we be led by His Spirit and make decisions that say, Yes, I value His Word. Yes, I, this will be beneficial. Yes, this will affect others around me positively. Yes, this is a good thing. Or no, it's not. Amen? That's how you empower your goals to get where you want to be. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray. Now, where did this message hit you? That's probably the Lord speaking to you. We talked about four tests for big decisions. The inspiration test. Does it agree with God's word? 
We talked about the integrity test. Is this consistent with what I really value? The impact test. How is this decision, this choice going to affect my closest family and friends? Be honest about it. And the improvement test. Will this decision be beneficial? I'm not going to allow myself to be mastered by anything. Father, I ask you this morning to send your spirit in a powerful way among us that he might speak to our hearts. Where are we just about to mess up? Where have we made or about to make a recent decision that is going to take us off course and away from you? Are we already off course, Holy Spirit? Speak to us and wandering away from you. Getting on dangerous ground. Lord, draw us back to yourself and this year empower us, please. Convict us. Don't let us make wrong decisions. Where do we need to improve this year, Lord, so we can reach the goal that you have set for us, that we would be more like Christ? In Jesus' name, we ask you to move in our midst now. Amen.